electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Today was one of the most incredible days in stock market history and a very bad day for most investors who lost a lot of value. The Dow posting its biggest point drop in history. At one point, the Dow was down nearly 1,600 points and entering a correction. It did come back a bit, but it still ended the day down 1,175 points. The Dow now negative for the year and combined with Friday, investors have seen $1.5 trillion in market value wiped out. Wall Street's so-called fear gauge, the VIX, hitting its highest level in nearly two and a half years. So welcome. And tonight, the question is quite simple. Has something changed about this record bull run? Or is this a buy and dip market? Or, Guy Adami, is something more severe and maybe more dangerous at work here? Well, yeah, for me to say nothing's changed would be disingenuous because, we, quite frankly, you don't see 1,600-point moves in the Dow Jones Industrial Average every day. So clearly something's changed. This is what I think's changed. Historically, and when I say historically, last seven or eight years, market opened down about 250 points today, rallied all the way back to unchanged. Last six months, that rally would have continued, extended higher. We would have closed higher. Obviously, you didn't see that today. That is a fundamental change. <laughs> what also changed is something that Tim's been talking about for quite some time. The level of complacency is measured in many different metrics in this market, has hit levels that we haven't seen maybe in the last decade to two decades. That's changed. Ask yourself at home, have you been coerced or do you believe that the market can only go up in perpetuity? A lot of people believe that, by the way. I, when I ask the question, what concerns you? People don't have concerns. That in and of itself. Okay, Let, let's put this into perspective, okay? Because not only have we never seen this before, but the intraday drop of nearly 1,600 points was not only obviously the biggest intraday drop of all time, Tim Seymour, it was the biggest intraday drop by 500 points. It fell 800 points in 20 minutes. Is this a broken stock market. Well, first of all, I think we have seen this before. And if you if you layer in what's been going on in periphery asset classes and, and what's been going on in, in crypto, what's been going on in cannabis, what's been going on in, in, in far-flung places of the world that are having, you know, you, you can tell that things have gotten extremely frothy. You bring up these moves. Uh, yes, they, so in some sense, right, we've never been here before. 383 S&P points from the high of Friday, sorry, Monday morning where we, sorry, Friday where we opened up to where we got on the intraday low at 311 when some weird stuff happened and suddenly the market completely bottomed. But think about the S&P bottomed at 666 for the entire index, and we've lost 383 S&P points in the matter of a day and a half. So it, this is dramatic. I agree with Guy. I think sentiment is not fragile enough here to even say that it's close to being a place where investors should just say, boy, this is that buying opportunity I wanted. I kind of think it's close to the buying opportunity that I wanted. I mean, I think tomorrow would not be the least bit surprised to see it trade down a lot on the heels of the rest of the world trading down overnight. That could absolutely happen. If it does, 
and we see things getting sold in integers. I always say when things start trading in integers, that means just indiscriminate selling. That very often is an opportunity to buy. So I know what I want to buy. I would like to buy mm -hmm. some Intel. I would like to buy some Google. I have had puts. I'm always long bias, always long. So today, yeah. lose a lot of money. But I always own, own some amount of market puts. Selling half, sold half of those today. I'll probably sell the rest tomorrow morning if we open up. Tomorrow. We're going to get more ideas as the show goes on. I love the optimism. But, but Steve, I, I want to go back to this idea about what happened. Because around tables tonight at dinner, there's going to be people who say, we went from down 800 to down 1,600 literally in 20 minutes. I understand the numbers have gotten bigger, so bigger numbers beget. You know, I get all that. However, there's talk about this Goldman Sachs memo that went around, but whatever. How do we lose 800 points in 20 minutes? So this is an electronic market with, with human beings as participants within that overall Felt market. more like but we were passengers today sure, rather than participants. You're going to get those flash crash moments. And today, Was I believe, that that today? I believe so we Jim had Cramer a flash called crash. It. We had a flash crash moment today where people are looking at MOCs, looking at market on closed orders, trying to get in there and sell stock at the market, and they reassess the wrong way. So they put in way too much liquidity at a certain point during the day, and it is, we call it a fat finger in the business. Okay. So you hit the sell button, but, and you don't put in a price. Hold on, and okay. It, and it researches the book way this, this down. Is in, this is important. So let me Let's, give you an example. Yes, Boeing, get out of the I, want, I don't want to be in the weeds down. too much. I want to understand Boeing what happened. Boeing sold down $20 in the matter of seconds. Yes. The hottest stock in the Dow over the past year. Nobody sells Boeing down $20 in a clip in a matter of seconds. I mean, no means, human. No human. No human being does that and, and means to do it. That did not although, happen. Although, in Boeing, it's an 8% move for a stock that's moved 50% since June. When I think flash but no crash, one's gonna put I, that I have six stocks so this that is, actually this get is sold a, down 30 40%, and people got taken out who possibly either had a sell or a buy order down there. Hopefully, you had the buy order. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Has to be, Steve, what I think, again, and I'm going to ask dumb questions. You could say it's a dumb question or a good sure. or whatever it is. Because I think there's a lot of people tuning in tonight who are probably not normal fast money viewers. They see the Dow down, and they say, what the heck happened to the Dow? Let's tune in to CNBC. Are you saying, because you could have sold Boeing not at an 8% drop, is what we're right. saying. Somebody was screwing up or screwed with the in pricing the mechanism. I've been in this marketplace since 1993. In this marketplace, I've seen all sorts of markets. You do not put in a market order in an electronic market exchange right now and just hit a button and press sell. You don't do it. Nobody around this desk does it. You can't do it because you wind up selling Boeing down $20. You have to put in limited orders. When you do something like this, something was wrong. But, but when you guys say flash crash, I, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Okay. Not, not, because not it, a huge amount of liquidity. So I agree with you. When you say flash crash, it means that implies selling down from 38 to that, one penny. That implies That's that not, some, 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 somebody or that the system has broken down. I think the system is filled with a ton of passive traders, a ton of algos, and ultimately you get into this place where the machines chase the market down. Until they don't. And, and so but someone that, leads, though. So someone makes that sale or buys the stock immediately, and then the algos chase that move. So that's why you saw Boeing and a, a whole bunch of other stocks sell down at the Brian's point. The market sell down 600 points like that. But, but I, I think in the, in the world that we've been in over the last year and a half, where you have uh, a lot of funds that are invested in ETFs yeah. and have been short volatility on a day like today, that's just the dynamic we're in. Yeah. People were short volatility. People were selling 
puts, people, sorry, people are selling calls to, to buy stocks a little cheaper. They got run over by a steamroller. That's what we call picking sure, okay. pickles. That, that action, okay, we're getting, let's, let's put a bow it's a that good action. Okay. That action that we saw today creates this sell side imbalance. It's a good conversation. In the Guy, it's a good conversation. We were there. Guy hosted Power Lunch with us today. And we watched it unfold. Let's come out of the weeds a little bit because here's the thing, Guy. I, and I get we're getting a lot of viewers who are writing in saying, come on, Sullivan. It's a percentage drop. Yes, it was the 33, 33rd biggest percentage drop of all time. So not the biggest, but 33rd is not nothing. I think, Guy Adami, what worried us on the set, what worries maybe the viewer, is the extreme rapidity of the – we were losing 100 points At a, clip. a minute – I have never no, seen that. I've never seen the percentage move that quickly. No, and to, to, to Steve's point, to Tim's point, I would, I would be much happier if they sold Boeing, the market sold down to 317 and it closed around 340 than to close feebly as it did. So that suggests to me that although obviously that was an accelerated or, or a move that probably shouldn't have happened, it's not like anything recovered all that much. And quite frankly, if the market were still open now, we would probably be revisiting we need the to levels that, that level. were, yeah. or a fat yeah. finger, whatever they were. We're going to get to more of this in a second, guys, but the Nikkei futures in Japan are down 8% right now. Let's bring in UBS strategist Keith Parker, Wall Street's biggest bull. Keith, you're the, what happened today in plain English? In plain English, I think you've touched on it. We have a Don't market. say stocks fell. <laughs> yeah, stock, stocks fell a lot. Thanks for coming. You heard our discussion. Yeah. The market mechanism, what happened? Yeah, I think when you have a, a market where end investor liquidity is tremendous after so many years of quantitative easing, but trading liquidity has shrunk. Active managers don't trade as much, and so when you get buying and selling of ETFs, you're sell, buying and selling 500 or 200 stocks. And I think what we're seeing in markets today is a reflection of that demand for end investor li liquidity where market liquidity is just not there. Well, how do we lose 800 points in 10 minutes? In, in terms of the, the down limit, yeah. I, I think you, know, you, you have investors that are watching, watching the tape and fundamental investors that I spoke to today that are seeing, you know, I still see value opening up. We'll see where markets shake out before, you know, we, we, we get in buy. Yeah, and, of course, the biggest market percentage decline of all time was in October of 1987. We understand mm -hmm. that. Uh, the market in 87 ended higher. A lot of people don't realize <laughs> that 87 was actually an up year despite a 22% haircut on one day. That makes today look relatively small. That said, do you expect the same action to happen? What's going on is now, but we will ultimately go higher from here. Well, further consolidation aside, as we touched on, you know, some potential selling pressure tomorrow, at the end of the day, the S&P 500 multiple has gone from 18 and a half times to now below 17, the lows that we saw in 2017. We still have the positive backdrop of the tax benefit, you know, better growth. Non-manufacturing ISM printed 59. So we're not in that, you know, negative data backdrop that would all, all the data is good. Although the, the, the data in 87 wasn't falling off a cliff either. Right. Uh, I, I think calling this 87 right now is, is, I think we're in a very different place. Uh, the positioning in this marketplace a week ago Friday was off the charts, okay? I wasn't and, calling it 87. Anyway. What I was suggesting is you can have a big dramatic drop and still be fine for the year. Uh, there are inner mm -hmm. workings that occur 
that are not representative of maybe the bigger picture. No, and I think your point in, in, in inherent in that is that you need to blow work off some steam in markets that were overheated to the upside. Right. And, and I think ultimately this is this is kind of the point because yeah. the fundamentals that may have changed last week. Think about it. All that could have been fundamentally different last week was the Fed. Um, and, and payrolls, which impacts the Fed. Right. Um, so ultimately, have you guys as a house made a, 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 a difference in your Fed call in the last week? Yeah, we moved it up one not in the last week. No, I think, you know, we, we had moved up our, our Fed call. But just touching on that 1987 point, if you look at the relative earnings yield versus the relative bond yield, equities were screaming expensive then. I don't think you have that same argument that you do today. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you that, looking for from the Fed this year? So, so our call is, is three Fed hikes with potentially risk of a fourth should inflation and, and growth uh, come in higher than we expect. Keith, when you look at, you mentioned the tax policy and tax cuts. So when I look at the S&P, 350 companies have not come out, Credit Suisse put out this piece today, saying that 350 companies have not upgraded their EPS guidance on the backs of what tax policy will do, what that tailwind will be. Could it be that the market is missing how beneficial this tax policy is really going to be for the S&P 500? I think you're there. You're probably 50 to 60 percent of the way pricing that in. You know, where bottoms up analyst expectations are about where we are for the year, I think there's further upgrades to go. And so you still do have that positive earnings momentum that right now in the market, you know, at 2800, we saw that tax fully priced. At these levels, it's not. Keith Parker, UBS. Keith, uh, thank you for joining us. A very dramatic day. We appreciate your insight. Thank right. you so much. Thank you. All right, guys, score on the table here. Uh, anybody Wait. buy? Did you buy anything today? Well, selling puts on the, on the spider is the same as buying the market. So I, I was really just selling volatility index, which is a fear index. Yep. And it just exploded, as guys said at the top of the show. And so to me, this is why you own puts. You own puts and you buy them at volatility at 11 or 12, like we've been talking about for months, because when you have a day like this, that's the day that okay, you Okay, and let's, again, just because today is a little bit odd, yeah. we may have some, some, some new viewers to CNBC right. and Fast Money. When you so say, explain very simply what you mean by when you're buying mm -hmm. puts. So when you buy puts on the market as protection in case the market the goes go, down. That the market will go down. But I'm really, I'm, I'm long stocks. I own stocks. But I need a little bit of insurance. And I pay that premium and I buy that insurance. And then if I crash, if the market crashes, that in, they, those Puts but pay off. They've got to be a little more expensive mentioned. today. The they are way more expensive. No, but think exactly. about what Karen has done. It's very tactical. I mean, we saw the VIX, you know, it, I don't know where we closed in the after hours. It went in with a five handle, a 50 handle. Um, we were at 13 four days ago. So what she's doing is taking advantage of a major move in the market. And even if it's a short-term move, tactically as a trader, it's a really smart move. I, I think when you think about what the market has done over the last couple of days, the one thing I'm now watching more than anything is the U.S. dollar. Because if the U.S. dollar starts to firm up in a way that in the last couple of days it has, that could be very difficult for stocks. A dollar that stays in this range, and it's, it, you argue for the folks at home that maybe join it, I mean, Moves in the dollar are often 18 months in advance of a Fed hike, and often we price that in well in advance. This dollar's done nothing. It's been weaker for the last year. The Fed is moving. I'm interested to see what the dollar does. I'm going to make it really easy for, for somebody at home trading. You look at the S&P cash, and we traded to a low of 26.38. You watch that low. I have a, what's called a three-day rule, so wait. See if that holds the low. And in the Dow, it's 23.923. So those two levels need to be kept for the next two days or three days. By the way, today ended officially ended the record 404 trading day streak 
without being more than 5% away from our highs. I mean, if you care about that kind of stuff, today ended a lot of stuff. The most incredible market lack of volatility in, in, in history, in 200 years of history. All right, still ahead. Today's sell-off sending a number of stocks into correction. Are any of them worth a buy? The Chartmaster, who, by the way, pretty much called this last week as a handful of names that he thinks might be near a bottom. We're going to break that down. The selling, not stopping here. These stocks around the world reeling. Some of them are set to reel tonight when they begin trading. We're going to talk more about this and which one Tim Seymour says is a buy right now. And it wasn't just stocks that crashed. Bitcoin falling below 7,000 at one point today. A key test looms tomorrow that could either save it or maybe deliver a knockout blow. We're going to tell you what that is. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The American markets are not the only ones that are gripped by chaos. The world's biggest foreign markets also seeing selling across the board. Bring in Dom Chu now with more on the global look. Brian, it's not just us. The market melees that we've seen over the past few trading days has had far and wide-ranging ripple effects. Now, it's all about markets around the world, speaking in many ways to the idea that markets do tend to trade together, especially in times of stress, especially in times of downside stress. We can look through this lens of some of the maybe perhaps bigger exchange-traded funds that are focused on geographic markets. For example, a major developing market like China, the iShares China Large Cap Fund, that ticker FXI, it too fell in trading today and is now down three days in a row and down around 7% since its recent high. That was just back on January 26th. What about emerging markets as a whole? A three-day losing streak as well for the iShares MSCI Emerging Markets ETF, that ticker EEM. A three-day losing streak here. After a bigger hit today, it's now down around 9% since its recent high on that same date. And then how about the developed market side of things, especially in Europe? Germany specifically. The iShares MSCI Germany ETF took a beating today as well, also down three days in a row, down around 9% since its recent high on January 24th. I guess the point being, stocks are being offered no matter where you go, sold across the globe, even given that risk-off mentality that we've had here. Brian, many of these markets are now trying to find some kind of footing and can be perhaps used as part of a more general gauge of risk appetite around the world, guys. Back over to you. All right, Don Chu, Don, thank you very much. All right, Tim, let's go to you. You pick up any of these names, any of these markets? Well, first of all, I think what's important to note is that some of the intraday moves in these, so emerging to the lows was down almost 9%. Um, emerging's not going to find their footing if the S&P doesn't have their footing. Let's, let's be really clear about this. I will say, if you look at the EWJ, which is Japan, uh, Japan has better EPS growth, um, is 20% cheap to Europe, which is 10% cheap to the U.S. So where should you be most insulated in a world also... All the data, folks, that have people nervous about rates is very constructive on manufacturing. So I like Japan. Uh, I like the EEM. In fact, the EEM, which had been outperforming the S&P dramatically since really December of 2016, um, is, I, I think, going to find a base. And you absolutely want to buy it. I wouldn't buy it tomorrow. Guys, yeah, let's talk about the German DAX. Yeah, you've been all over the DAX. Well. You've, been, you've been worried about it. What do you think about the German DAX right I think now? It's, well, I mean, technically, you could look at it and say at 13,600 or so, we put in a bit of a double top. I mean, that's pretty clear for you technicians out there. And, and I will tell you that, in my opinion, the DAX sort of led the S&P higher about 18 months or so ago. You can make an argument maybe that's sort of leading us lower now. So where does it find footing? I think that's what you have to try to figure out. And quite frankly, I don't think the DAX finds footing for another 
four or five hundred points to the downside. And percentage-wise, that's somewhat significant. But again, take a look at what the DAX has done. Has it led us on the way up? Yes. Is it leading us on the way down? I would submit it is. Can I well. ask you this, guy? Too. We're, a lot of people are going to wake up tomorrow morning. They're going to look at the European markets that are trading, and they're going to wonder: Is Europe going to follow us, or are we going to follow Europe? If the DAX is down four percent tomorrow. You think that's going to lead us, or is that just a reaction to today? I think it has been leading us. I think a down 4% move tomorrow in Europe will be a reaction to today. But again, this is chicken and the egg stuff that I can't ask. Tim's probably better suited well, to answer it than I am. But, you know, again, I think that specifically is reaction to today. I, I, I think the global markets are going to follow our markets. Our markets started this, and I think the dynamic is this is where the liquidity is and the Fed's driving it. Watch European close tomorrow, because if we're going to see a bottom, often you wait until Europe goes home, and this is usually where you can get some, some, some clarity in the market. So, um, you know, turn around Tuesday. You know, there's a lot of cliches after this kind of a big move. Getting a bit of a bounce tomorrow would not be a huge surprise, but I bet we need to see Europe close before we get it. Okay. Still ahead. It is hard to admit when you are wrong, especially with investing, but sometimes you just have to do it in Guy Adami. Three simple rules for when you should cut your losses and move on. He's going to break them down by Glaza. I'm Brian Sullivan. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Get back in there at once and sell, sell. Sums up what investors have been doing of late, but the charts are flashing a buy signal for three Dow stocks in particular. We'll give you the names. Plus, Bitcoin investors are freaking out. And a key event this week could be the make or break moment for the cryptocurrency. We'll tell you what it is and how to profit when Fast Money returns. And welcome back to Fast Money. If you are just joining us, it was an historic and a bit of a scary day on Wall Street. That is a time lapse of the Dow. At one point, the key index falling nearly 1,600 points. Needless, that was by far its biggest intraday move ever. In fact, it was not only the biggest intraday drop ever, it exceeded the previous biggest intraday drop by 500 points. Bob Pisani's at the New York Stock Exchange with more on uh, really a day that will go down in the history books, Bob. This is my 20th year as the stocks reporter for CNBC, and I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, except maybe for a day in 2008. It was a roller coaster ride for the record books. At one point, the Dow was already down 800 points going into the 3 p.m. hour, and then it proceeded to drop another 800 points in six minutes, then rallied back 800 points in the next 10 minutes or so. We moved almost the whole year in an afternoon. All right, what happened? Today, there were no headlines around any of the market risks we've discussed for days, inflation risk, valuation risk, or political risk. None. Instead, there were technical issues. Every time the market tried to rally, the volume was weak, indicating buyers just weren't that interested, even at the lower prices. But when the market moved lower, particularly when it kept dropping below the prior lows of the day, the selling pressure picked up, indicating sellers were again becoming more active. And as the market dropped, selling accelerated because many professional traders have what we call sell stops, levels in the market where they will sell to protect profits. And that, of course, begets more selling. Now, one important point, the market functioned normally. We had very high volume, north of 9 billion shares changed hands on all the exchanges. That's 50% higher than normal. But there were no reports that I saw of any market malfunction, and I checked with the NYSE on that. One thing's for sure, big names already in correction territory. General Electric, look at this, down 51%. Ford's down 24%. P&G's down 14%. Netflix even down 11%. 
Here's a bigger issue for the markets. The recent selling has been driven largely by professional traders, but now there's worries that retail traders could get active. Remember, an historic ocean of money came into ETFs in January, north of $55 billion just into stock ETFs. That's according to ETF.com. Much of that were retail investors eagerly putting money to work on the back of strong earnings and an expanding global economy. The volume weighted average price, what we call the VWAP. The average price for the S&P 500 this year is roughly 2780 or so. We're 100 140 points below that. That means, on average, anyone who bought this year, on average, is underwater by about 4% or so. Now, how will the average retail investor react when he discovers that he's now underwater by about 4% after buying the unstoppable S&P 500 just a month ago? And that is the question for later this week. Back to you, Brian. Yeah, it certainly is. Bob Pisani, thank you very much. Okay, well, on Friday, your next guest said this was an immediate market top. Whether we go lower now or lower over time or whether we back and fill, I think Friday a week ago is going to stand as an important intermediate top. All right. Obviously a very good call, maybe more than he knew. Chartmaster Carterworth of Cornerstone Macro is at the plasma with some more names you could buy possibly on the dip. But first, Carter, can we touch on the overall market right now? I mean, you said 2640, I believe it was, on the S&P. Uh, we're very close to that. What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of moving parts. And uh, really, the, I think the most important thing is you have to know who you are in the market. Each player uh, has to know that about themselves. If, if you're thinking out three to five years or you're 18-year-old and you're just coming to the market, buying stocks down here, looking out eight, ten years, whatever, is going to be great. But if you're a timer, I'm trying to time it, or if you're on fast money, uh, probably you don't need to step in here now. But let's look at the market and just try to figure it out. This is a, a very well-defined trend line. Uh, that the market has bounced off of. This is, in fact, the exact plunge low of February of 2016. This is the exact moment of the election when the weakness just before Trump won. And this is the midsummer swoon uh, of 2017. And it's a log scale. So while it wasn't much of a swoon, the line is coming up quickly relative to price. So this is as it stood one week ago. Let's bring it forward. Ready? And then today it literally stopped to the penny on this line again. Now, the first question I ask you, is that because literally everyone is a chartist? No, but algorithms are out there, computers are out there. And it's not random that it came exactly to that line and stopped. Does it mean it has to be over? No. But if you are looking to think out long term, there's always something to buy in terms of taking advantage of weakness. So let's just roll through a few big names. I've picked out a basket. One big tech name, one big financial, one big material stock, a big healthcare, and a big industrial. Names that you will all know. All right. And here they are. Apple is your tech name. UPS is your industrial all state. Massive financial. Johnson Johnson speaks for itself. Biggest healthcare stock or one of them. Uh, Dow DuPont, biggest material stock. So I'm going to go through them individually and then let's talk about them as a basket. This basket is 1.5 trillion. It's almost 6% of the S&P. And it was, it was damaged. I mean, this basket's down 12% from its high versus the market. And this was, these numbers were moving intraday. You know, we know, of course, we're down almost uh, 7.5 now, 7.8. So the basket's down some 13, 13.5. Let's go through the charts and then put it all together. Here is Apple, and here is Apple off of its trend line. So if one's looking to take advantage of weakness off of a line, you know, this is something to think about. Let's go on to the next. 
This is Allstate. Here comes the line. It's the same principle, right? It's knowing who you are in the market. If you're a three, four, five-year investor, of course you do something here. If you're, if you're trying to figure out whether tomorrow's going to drop another 5% at the open, don't touch it. But it's important that you play according to your mandate. Look at this, another one, exactly off-trend, off-trend, off-trend. Play for a rebound. And then Johnson & Johnson, here comes the line. I mean, this is all, you know, I don't draw lines. I haven't manipulated lines. The charts are the charts. And these stocks have all come down quite precisely to lines that have held uh, importantly. All right, let's do one more. UPS, move it along. Here's the line, same principle, going to make the bet for the bounce. And then here is a basket of, here's the basket. These stocks, the 1.5 trillion, and now here comes the moving average, the 150 moving average, and this has literally bounced off this line, off this line, and we closed on it there. So if you're a quick trader, maybe you get a quick bounce. If you're a long-term person, these and others, there's always something to do, but it's important to know who you are in the market. Carter, all right, good stuff as always, buddy. Why don't you come on over to the desk? Bring them in. Yes, bring this in here. Let's talk more now about this, guys. I mean, it's, um, you know, we could talk about technicals. And, Carter, I certainly mean this with, with all due respect because the technicals matter a lot. A lot of people trade just on them. But when you have a lot of weird things that happen internally today, a lot of talk about algos gone mad, maybe some of this liquidity, people short puts, the XIV, all this stuff that we're, we're just starting to understand. How confident are you that those technical levels are going to hold? Well, those are technicals. Algorithms are technicals. That's what they are. Machines look at charts. They study patterns. So maybe they matter more than they used to. I think they do. Um, and, and again, I think the, the most important thing is, is it, they're, they're not, it's not the end of the world. But here's the other thing. Why do we have to assign a reason why it sold off? Why did it go up so much? It was, it was the biggest January in 20 years. So you typically go down more quickly than you go up. We've unwound the big month of January. Punch on the year. Is it such a crisis? So you have a lot of those charts that's interesting look exactly the same regardless of the number. What does that slope tell you, that upward slope, about where this basket could go if it does, in fact, bounce off your Where it bounces. You level. should get, I mean, in principle, a good 45-degree angle. Those are about what those are. And you get a nice bounce off that. That's the kind of thing where you, you if you're a trader, you're looking for 3 or 5 or 6%. And if you're a long-term person buying something that's down 10 or 12, similar to what you did by selling puts, or whatever, then it's an opportunity with time on your side. But Carter, yes. you, 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 you look at some of these setups in the past. We've had such a big buildup of ETFs and fund flows. Does this make you feel a little differently based upon how you do your technicals? I, see, I don't know how to quantify that. Yeah. We know that the ETFs could be driving us. Yeah. But again, think about the headlines as it stands. The cost of money is 2.8% yeah. and earnings is so good, but people are panicked. We'll talk more, but guys, uh, jump in here. We'll get back to this good conversation. We have some breaking news. The White House making a statement on the sell-off. Let's go to Eamon Javis. Yeah, Brian, that's right. The White House has been commenting throughout the day, but we have a new comment here from the White House just in the past couple of minutes after the president has arrived uh, back from his trip to Ohio. The White House saying the president's focus is on our long-term economic fundamentals, which remain exceptionally strong with strengthening U.S. economic growth, historically low unemployment, and increasing wages for American workers. The statement goes on to say the president's tax cuts and regulatory reforms will further enhance the U.S. economy and continue to increase prosperity 
for the American people. So that's the official statement here from the White House. And as you know, Brian, this is a president who has embraced the stock market, embraced talking about the Dow Jones to a degree uh, that his predecessors just didn't do. They were wary that if you talk about the stock market on the way up, you've also got to talk about it on the way down. And that can be an uncomfortable position for White Houses to be in. So typically, they sort of stay away from commenting on the, on the stock market's in individual movements in, in individual days. This White House, though, has been very different over the past year and that massive rally that we saw in 2017. Uh, the White House embraced the stock market, embraced talking about it, and now they're seeing some of the downside politically of doing that on a day when the stock market sells off, Brian. Yes, certainly. Eamon Javers, thank you very much. Uh, Guy yeah. Adami, the other day the president sort of chastised his Treasury Secretary for commenting on the dollar. Do you believe the president should be commenting so much on the stock market? No, and I've said that since he was elected president. It's his right to do so. It's just something that's out of the ordinary. I was surprised that not only he said it, but a number of people in the administration said a, the stock market will be a report card for our administration, which is great if the market goes higher each day. But obviously, you paint yourself in a bit of a corner when you have days like today and Friday. So what's happened is he's forced to comment now, given what's happened over the last year. I happen to think that's dangerous. I don't think they should quote, also, talk about the dollar or the stock market. I also market. think that he is a business person, and I think that he gets this. This is a sweet spot for him. This is what he thinks he understands. His report card, in a way. His report card, which, which 100 million people own stocks. So this is a report card. Pension funds own stocks. Everybody owns stocks, white collar, blue collar. He's speaking the language of the country. I don't have a problem with him talking about the stock market. Well, hold on a second. I mean, but you know, the president getting out there making a comment about the stock market when, in fact, um, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. And, and ultimately, uh, if you think about some of the uh, some of the dynamics, I mean, politics made a, had a big to, to state the obvious. We jammed through a tax bill. Um, because midterm elections are coming up, because there was a reason to do it. So if these guys are really tethering their 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 success or their popularity to the stock market, that means that the they're going to be though? they're going to be legislating so in a way that's him. not. But what? You know. But what's the point? We jam through a health care thing before the midterms too. They do it. Administration. Let it. me ask you something. Yeah, and, look, and, and, and if the market overheats because we threw gas on a fire when we didn't need it, Atlanta Fed, you know, went There's from three point six to five point four in their GDP upgrade right, because but, of this tax bill. People are going to have a problem with whatever the Fed does or whatever the Fed doesn't do. So I, the, we're the talking about the White is, House. You're the one who just said we threw fire on it. So the I'm White House, you, not not the Fed. I'm saying right now that there's no, there's no, our tax policy, do you know the last time the tax rate was 21%? Do you? Because it was 1940. So if it's 35%, that is not competitive on a global basis. What, this, is, this is humongous tailwinds yeah, but the, for the economy. That wasn't my what point. What the White House has to say about the stock market means absolutely nothing. It, mean, it doesn't matter. But, nothing. but can he, to Guy's point, can he, and do you agree with it, two totally different things. I have no problem whatsoever if this White House wants to use it as a report card. If they pigeonhole themselves, then so be it. Okay. It was a good discussion, guys, and uh, we'll see if we get more comments on this. For more on today's sell-off, be sure tonight, tune in to CNBC's special report, Markets in Turmoil. That will kick off at 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight as well. All right, still ahead, as stocks and some of the crypto commodities continue to sell off, when do you know, how do you know, it's time to cut your losses? Well, Guy has three simple rules to admitting when you're wrong, and he will break it down. Plus, if you thought today was bad, traders are betting that one major Dow stock could tumble 20% when it reports its earnings tomorrow. That's right. We're going to tell you the name and why some traders are nervous right after the break. 
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, stocks not the only thing taking a beating today. You got Bitcoin breaking below 7,000 early afternoon. So the crypto traders have their eye on one big event tomorrow that might make or break at least the short-term future for Bitcoin. Seema Modi back at HQ with more. Seema. Hey, Brian, investors are growing anxious ahead of tomorrow's hearing. The heads of the SEC and CFTC will testify in front of the Senate Banking Committee at 10 a.m. Eastern. The topic, regulatory oversight of virtual currencies. And in the hot seat, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton, who will be asked to address the risks in investing in the crypto space. That includes Bitcoin as well as initial coin offerings. While the SEC has filed several lawsuits on fraudulent initial coin offerings, its commentary on Bitcoin and crypto exchanges has been limited. So traders will be looking for some type of guidance on whether regulators will pursue a specific strategy like regulators in China and South Korea, which have taken a harder stance on cracking down on cryptocurrency trading. Bitcoin lost over $1,000 in today's trade and is down about 65% from its mid-December high. But to put this move into perspective, this isn't the largest drop that we have seen in Bitcoin. It did lose over 90% back in late 2011. Also worth noting, the sell-off today not confined to just Bitcoin. Its rivals, Ether, Litecoin, Ripple, also suffering double-digit declines. Brian? Yeah, Simo Modi, big day. Thank you very much. All right, for more, let's bring in now Michael Busella. He is a managing director of Block Tower Capital, a leading crypto investment fund. Mike, a lot of people out there are going to be looking to you for some guidance, for some perspective, and maybe a little comfort. You might have to play psychologist tonight. Yeah, that, that works for me. I, what do I you think, say? I think we're actually at a pretty exciting time for cryptocurrencies, digital assets overall, um, on, on two fronts, the volatility and the, and the opportunity that represents, and then also sitting at the precipice of what could be one of the most material events for the evolution of the digital asset ecosystem, the Senate hearing tomorrow morning. You think that's really going to drive down the cryptos this much, considering we've had sells for the last couple of weeks and we didn't have a hearing the next day. I think it's a confluence of things. So if you think about um, large concentrated <laughs> holdings of digital assets, you have a lot of folks who are looking to de-risk into this event. So you have that layered on with emotional retail markets, um, which, which then bring it to technical levels, which you know a lot of TA analysis um, goes into and a lot of folks trade off of. So you have those layered on top of one another, which, which create um, dramatic uh, both drawdowns and, uh, and rallies. So let me ask you something. As the crypto craze has gone on and it's sucked in a lot of typical stock investors, as opposed to being sort of a counterculture, people who don't own stocks, when we have days like today, everything kind of moves down together. Do you think that's what's happening here? Or do you think that's a separate, separate it, phenomenon? It could be idiosyncratic. Um, it, it could be um, a coincidence. But if you think about the implied volatility on something like Bitcoin of 120, and you compare that to traditional asset classes, um, it's, it's, in the, it's in the realm of, of, of 10 times. Uh, so you think about 10 times the type of the movement you would see in traditional asset classes. Um, what I think about volatility is that it actually brings about the need for regulation, which is helpful in the long run because it creates a framework from, you know, you have a lot of institutional capital and, and infrastructure development sitting on the fringes. And this provides a framework which de-risks their involvement in the space. And it actually is long-term beneficial for the overall development of the ecosystem. So when you look at the global market for Bitcoin and, and you look at the hearings aside, as you said before, what about just globally Asia? If, if, what does Bitcoin, when everyone looks at the trajectory that they think Bitcoin is going to get to, can you take Asia off the table and still have something that is constructive? 
I think you could still have something constructive, although I think there, there is a need for global adoption of, of digital assets. And, and I think it's important to develop that in a, in a systematic way with regulatory agencies behind the movement. Uh, I think you need institutional adoption. And so that would require, obviously, we're, we're a global economy. It would require global adoption as well. Mike, what do you think at Block Tower, uh, on a day like today, how do you guys assess a risk-off environment as it relates to what you guys are doing, which is uncorrelated? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, we again, view volatility as an as a, as a enormous opportunity. Um, we have a multitude of underlying strategies that we, you know, utilize a very robust risk management process and investment process to, uh, mm -hmm. to tap into. Um, I don't want to go too deep into individual strategies, yep. but... And we'll get you back on a day like today. We gotta we gotta hop on back onto the stocks. But Michael Busello, we appreciate your insight. Thank you much very much. All right, coming me. up, when do you sell your losers? When do you buy more? A lot more on that strategy and also this rather insane market day. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. I want to check this out. This is the XIV. Okay, it's a Credit Suisse product. It is a short volatility ETN. What does this mean? It means that it moves in the opposite direction of the so-called fear gauge, the VIX. As you might imagine, as the VIX rise, that falls. In fact, it is tanking after hours. I don't like to use the T word a lot, tanking. It's down 80%. What is this? Why do we care? And what is it saying? Let's bring in Mike Coe. He is our options expert. Mike, it's a little bit in the weeds. I get it. And Larry McDonald, the Bear Traps report, has laid this out very nicely. This is selling volatility to generate extra income, but we are finding out that when you do these kinds of strategies, you could get wiped out, are we not? Yeah, no, that, that's definitely true. I mean, here's one way to think about it. We'll just use a simple option as an example. Uh, if you sold, for example, an at-the-money put in the SPY, and that's their structure is actually more t closely tied to the front futures in VIX, but if you sold a put, let's say a 280 strike put on SPY last week, you could have collected maybe $3 for that put. Now take a look at where that thing is trading when the SPY is trading 260. So that's $20 in the money at this point, right? So that basically demonstrates the convexity. You're collecting a small amount of premium, just like when you sell any form of insurance. But of course, the liability when you sell insurance could be significantly larger than the premium you collect to do it. So that's kind of what's going on here. Now, it's an exchange-traded note, as you point out, rather than an exchange-traded fund. One of the reasons buying an instrument like this appeals to people who want to be short premium is because if you bought it, the most you can lose is everything you put into it. Whereas if you start selling a lot of derivatives, you can lose substantially more than that. And I think it's, you know, what they're talking about now is that it may have busted. You know, usually when we talk about the VIX, because the VIX itself is a percentage, we tell people don't talk about what percent the VIX moved this way or that. But in this case, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Why? Because if you are basically inverse short something that goes up 100%, you've lost everything, right? So I think that's basically what we're dealing with here. If there is any residual value in the underlying hedge that they've used to create this exchange-traded note, it's probably been evaporated. Mike Coe, thanks for taking a complicated topic and making it understandable and digestible for us. We appreciate this. The XIV certainly could be something I have a feeling about. We're going to hear more about, uh, if not tonight, and certainly tomorrow morning on CNBC. All right, coming up, can't decide whether to sell your losers or buy more. Guy Adami will open up his investment survival guide, and he'll break down a couple of simple rules for when to bail on any investment. You won't want to miss it. we still got a little fast money left ahead of us. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this.
The sell-off last couple of days may have some of you wondering when to bail on a losing trade, when to hang in there. Well, Guy Adami, here now with three simple rules to when to cut your losses and maybe run in a little segment we like to call The More You Know. The more you know. And thanks, Brian. And thank you. So notice it says trading survival guide. Very important. Doesn't say investing. Trading survival guide. Number one, leave your ego at the door. What does that mean? We've been doing this show a long time, and I am wrong on a nightly basis. But you have to talk about it. You have to discuss it. It's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to pretend that you're not. Second point, know your exit point. What does that mean? I'll give you an example. If I were to buy Apple at 160, let's just say... The first thing you have to do is establish where you're going to get out if you're wrong. So again, playing with numbers. I'm going to buy Apple at 160, but for whatever reason, if it prints 152, I'm going to get out of a portion and then reevaluate. Know where you're going to get out if you're wrong. And the last one, this is my opinion, other people differ, but never add to a losing trade. If you put a trade on and it starts to go against you, don't add to it. The first move from a losing trade should be get out of a portion of it, not to add more. Guy, can a losing trade uh, change on a day like today? Well, a losing trade, yes. Can it tra change on a day like today? Absolutely. But this is one thing I say all the time. Don't, make a, don't turn a losing trade into an investment, and that's what a lot of people do. And it happened in General Electric. I'm glad they put up the chart, because what happens? People buy GE around $32, saying, you know what, I'm buying it for a trade. And then when the stock gets cut in half, it goes from being a trade to being an investment. You can't wear both hats, in my opinion. All right, great advice. Guy Dami, thank you very much. Coming up next, the final trades. All right, big day around the horde. Final trades. Tim Seymour. Hey, look, an all-weather stock, Altria MO, you're wrap. Karen. I'm going to wait to see how the market opens, and if it opens down a lot, I'm going to buy some EEM. All right, the emerging market yes. ETF, Grasso. I want to smooth out some risk here, so I go with an ETF, XLY, discretionary ETF. It's up 7% year-to-date. That's the one I would take a look at. Okay, we got guy. you here all week. You the man, but look at Micron in the after hours. Raise their guidance. Stock is higher. MU, think at bottom. All right, guys, Thanks, thank Brian. you very much for your insight. His perspective is always on a crazy market day, really an historic market day. And be sure, folks, tune in tonight. CNBC has got your back and got you covered. A special report, markets in turmoil on a day. With a Dow for more than 1,600 points, Jim Cramer called it a flash crash. Let's hear what else he has to say, because Mad Money begins right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.